Hi, I'm Katrina Daniel, and welcome to Primetime Crime, a podcast for people who want to know what goes on behind the scenes of the most notorious trending crime stories and what's going on in the minds of those involved in those stories. What are the detectives, the judges, the defense attorneys, and the prosecutors thinking? You'll hear it all on Primetime Crime, the podcast. Hi, welcome. I'm Katrina Daniel, and this is Primetime Crime. Today, we're tackling online dating scams. You wouldn't believe how many people, mostly women, sadly, become victims, giving their hearts, hopes, and worse, their money to heartbreaking scammers they'll never meet in person because those scammers are in Nigeria, Ghana, Sudan, Ukraine, or some other place you're not likely to go on vacation. First, let's do some quick numbers. Surprised me. Listen to this. According to the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, people reported losing more than $201 million to romance frauds just last year. The key word, reported. Because surely not one in 10 scammed souls actually calls or notifies the FTC that they've been swindled out of thousands of dollars by some third world scammer in Ghana. Who would admit to that? It's embarrassing, humiliating, all your friends and relatives asking you, what were you thinking? How could you not tell? And I bet you're probably thinking to yourself right now, this is a stupid episode. That could never happen to me. Well, guess what, sports fans? If it can happen to my guest, Debbie Montgomery Johnson, it can happen to anyone. Debbie Montgomery Johnson, welcome. You're one of those people who is so accomplished, you make the rest of us try harder or curl up and die, depends on the day. So tell us your story. You met this guy on a Mormon dating site? Seriously? Talk to us. Well, it actually is not a Mormon dating site. It was called LDS Planet, and it was a faith-based dating site. And I thought that people on it would maybe be members of the church, uh, and it turns out to there were some, but not everybody. So tell me how you found this and how this evolved. Okay, it started in April of 2010, and my husband of almost 26 years passed away suddenly. Um, I was thrown into running his company, working my own job, and just doing everything, you know, trying to keep things going, because I'm one of those women like you, I'm sure, that is a fixer and a keep everything going type person. And so I did that. 20 hours a day and the four hours at night that I tried to get to sleep, I just was angry at Lou for dying. If you can be angry at someone. And I was sad. That was the only time I could really grieve and not have anybody see me falling apart because I wanted to make sure that I was in control. So about six months after he died, my girlfriends came to me and said, you need a life. You need to do something other than work. Cause I honestly I was working his company and my job. And they meant dating. Well, I wasn't much of a dater. I didn't drink. I didn't want to go out. Where do you go when you're 52 years old, right? That's what I was thinking. And so they said, try online dating. It's safe. And my mom had met friends that way. I mean, my mom, my mom's friends had met friends that way. And everybody that I had talked to that had gone to that site and to some of the other sites said, this is really safe. It's a great way to meet people. And I, I really didn't want anything in person right off the bat because I'd been married to Luke for so many years. I just wanted a friend. I wanted someone that I could be um, to talk to 
have a companion, but safe because he was in my house. He wasn't nearby. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so that's what I did. I, I stepped onto this website and really stalked for a little while. I wanted to see who was out there, and I was not impressed with the 52 to 65-year-old men, <laughs> honestly. And, uh, but until one, one conversation, one guy came online, and, he, and uh, he seemed to be very accomplished. He was an international businessman. He, spoke, he, he wrote well. When I say speak, it was all virtual. It was on, not like we were doing today. It was um, emailing on the website at the time. And then soon after, uh, within a week probably, he said, look, I'm gonna be traveling. Can you go on to Yahoo Chat and off the website? Flag number one, I never knew that you shouldn't go off the websites because of what happens. Um, so we went on to Yahoo Chat, which I thought was pretty cool because eight years ago, that was like instant messaging and it was neat. I could, any time of the day or night when he would come on, We'd sit down and we'd be typing for hours. It was an extraordinary friendship that got built through writing. And I'm a huge proponent of writing now, even, uh, because it was a great way for me to express all the feelings that I had. I'm, I'm a very private person. I, I, I have friends that would say, how do you feel? How do you feel? Well, I feel fine. I'm doing great. But inside, I might have been dying. So by writing things down, I could address how I felt about Lou dying, how I felt about my frustrations with some of the kids. Whatever I was feeling, it was very easy for me to write it out rather than try to speak it, you know, verbalize it. And I've got 4,000 pages of a journal over those two years. That's how much writing I did in those two years. What was his name? His name was Eric Cole. And Eric Cole. What yep. was his real name? His real name was Joseph, and I don't know who Joseph is, but um, Eric Cole was, had a PhD. He was from London. He was an international businessman, and it was right up my line. He had a company. He, he was a contractor for hardwood trees, and I actually had investments in trees in Costa Rica at the time. He didn't know that, and so I, it was very interesting that he was in that business, um, and I did my due diligence as I thought. I mean. We didn't get into my background, but I was an Air Force intelligence officer. I was a senior bank manager. I was a paralegal in my early days out of college. So I'd had a lot of experience. And when I got online and he gave me the website of the company he worked for, I Googled it. I went right to the website. It was a legit company. And I even on the website, though. It was a legitimate company. Yes. He okay. didn't work for it. <laughs> I didn't know that. He told me he was a contractor for them. And so when I called the company and asked if he worked for them, they said no. Well, that wasn't a red flag for me. I just figured, well, he's international. Maybe he doesn't really work for them. He works as a contractor for them, and they may not have it. Well, right. Which makes sense. It did to me. <laughs> you know? what, other, what other due diligence did you do? I... As an imagery analyst in the Air Force, every time he gave me an address or a picture, I would, I would look it up. I went on to Google. I, looked, I went to Google Maps, and I, I Googled every address he gave me to try to figure out, is that what the house might look like? Because I would get inside pictures, and I would, in my mind, try to figure out, if, you know, did somebody live there? What kind of, it was very odd, but I did do my research as best as I could, but again, I never thought that it was, would be a scam. I didn't have any trust issues with him. I felt like this is legitimate. It's 
well, I had no experience in it uh, for the negative, and no one that I knew that had done online dating had any problems. So I went into it wholehearted, fully trusting in the process. How long before he started asking for favors or money? Within a few weeks, he asked just, he didn't ask for it for him. He had a friend who was an engineer and he was having trouble getting onto the web, onto the dating site. And he said, hey, would you send a check in to get my friend onto the site? And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, we need more men. So I sent a check into the dating site. And that now looking back on it, obviously that was a little test. Uh, I just figured, you know, more men the merrier. But it gave credibility to the man that we got onto the website. And I think that's what maybe they do. Because if you're a paid subscriber to it, you get a better rating maybe, you get more credibility. And uh, I, I know that now. So, and then after that, it was it was relatively soon after that, but it was more business oriented than asking for, today they ask for iTunes cards or they ask for phones, that kind of thing. Uh, back then, uh, we were establishing a business relationship where he was actually, he was doing a job over in the Far East and it was moving trees from Malaysia to India which again made sense to me, but we had to set up a power of attorney. We had to do some legal things uh, because we, the money was coming back here. He was going to be moving back here. And so I was working with his attorney and that was the most interesting part of the story is there were times when I would be on Yahoo chat and I would be on a little message board with his sister and his son in England. And then I got to know his, his attorney, Peter, and I would be on a chat with Peter and I'd be typing back and forth to all these people. And I don't know if, now looking back, if it was just Eric, if it was a team, I've learned a whole lot about how they work these days. It could have very possibly have been a team working together on what was going on, but I thought I was getting to know the whole family. And uh, so I started the, one of the first, and the first disagreement we had, and, and I always prided myself on not being a contentious person or someone that liked contention. Uh, he had asked me for some money to do the power of attorney. And it was, I think, $2,500. And I'm thinking, you know, I used to do power of attorneys as a lawyer, and they don't cost $5,000 or whatever. And, I, and then I started to justify, well, it's international. I'm not sure what Peter's doing. And, and so I, and the, first, the first transfer was via Western Union. And I hadn't ever had a really good feeling about Western Union. I thought, oh, you know. And when I had to go do it at the grocery store at Publix, and uh, I was putting down this name, and it wasn't Eric's name. And he kept saying, well, it's for a friend of mine's going to pick the money up in Malaysia or where we, wherever we were sending it to. He had a legitimate, or I thought plausible, answer to every question that I asked. And again, I had no reason not to trust him. So I just figured, well, if he's in Hong Kong, Malaysia, wherever, he doesn't live there. So maybe he does have friends that are picking the money up for him. When did you first speak with him? Oh, boy. I think it was one time when we were trying to get him here to the States. And there were multiple times where we were setting up hotel rooms and he was going to get plane tickets. The job was supposed to have been done in 30 days, maybe. And this, I, I met him the first part of November. And our, our first longest conversation was Thanksgiving. And I actually was on, uh, not on the phone, but on Yahoo chat with him for the whole day. 
And I thought, well, this is really cool. My mom was in the kitchen baking and my dad was doing stuff around the house. And he, I thought, was from London. So I was describing to him the whole day what Thanksgiving was in America. And it was so much fun. And then I guess after that, um, we were planning Christmas. He was supposed to come home for Christmas. And I got the hotel reservations for him and his sister and son were flying in and I got reservations for them. And then right before the holidays, he said there's been a there's been a hookup, a hitch or something, and he couldn't get here. So then I had to cancel all of those things. And you know, the emotions start going up and down when you get so excited and then doesn't come and so excited and they don't come. Um, so that's I don't know if I answered your question. I've kind of gone around it, but I talked to him when when one of the times he had to cancel. And I really didn't talk to him many times via telephone because he was in areas of the world where, you know, he just couldn't get to me. At least that's what he said. But when I did talk to him, he had a British accent, which led right into the whole story of him being from London and, you know, international intrigue and business and all that. So what finally tipped you off? What tipped me off? Yeah. What finally, what was the straw that broke the camel's back and you went, "Uh uh-oh, this sucks. Oh no, it wasn't that. It was, he came online, it was September 10th, 2012. He came online that morning and said, Deb? How do you feel about forgiveness? And we'd had many conversations, spiritual conversations over the years, and I just put on my spiritual hat and I kicked right in. And for hours, we wrote to each other about forgiveness. And then we got disconnected, which wasn't an unusual thing either. Um, And when he came back on, he said, do you remember what we were talking about? We revisited the whole thing. And I finally said, Eric, did I do something wrong? Why are we, did I do something wrong? Why are we talking about forgiveness? And he said, Deb, I have something to tell you and it's going to hurt you. I need to know that you can forgive me because I have this confession. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I've had a confession once in my life before and it wasn't very pleasant. And I said, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to tell me this? He goes, I need to tell you that this has all been a scam. And when I heard that, honestly, I was looking at my screensaver and it was a picture of my handsome Brit. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you're sick. Something's really wrong. And when he goes, no, this is really true. I said, then you need to prove to me that this has been a lie. And, he, and that's when he told me that he could come on to Yahoo Chat. There's a camera on Yahoo Chat, which I didn't know about. He said, I'm going to walk you through it and I'm going to come on live. So I'm visualize. I'm looking at my screen, my dual screens, two pictures of my handsome Brit. And in the corner pops up this little camera on Yahoo Chat. And I'm looking at this. <laughs> I describe it as a young man with dark hair, dark eyes, dark hair dark skin, and a huge smile on his face. And I'm thinking, holy moly, what have I done? And he's just going on like, I'm so excited to see you. Can we keep this going? And I'm thinking, oh, no. And at that point, he said, will you not keep this going because I'm, I'm black? And I'm thinking, Mm-mm. I said, you've lied to me for two years. You stole from me over a million dollars in two years. And it was a, you know, a gift from God for me that in an instant, when I saw his picture, my heart and my head got totally disconnected from the story because I was, I had fallen in love with this, this person. You know, I had spent two years of my life giving everything to him, you know, emotionally and, and mentally and all that. And when I saw that picture, I'm thinking, how do I catch him now? You know, my intelligence hat kicked in, my Air Force hat, all those things kicked in. And I'm like, how do I catch him? And I actually did pull up my telephone. He didn't see it, but I took a picture of my screen and I actually have it. I wrote a book and the, the pictures yes. in my book. 
that's the only picture that I have of the real guy. And it's funny because in the picture, he's got this big smile on his face. And uh, I kept him engaged at that point because I was trying to figure out, because he knew I could, I could try to turn him in. And he said, Deb, I don't know what you're going to do, but I hope you don't because I have siblings. And, and you know, he had siblings in the story. And, and maybe part of that is a true story because a lot of these young men over there are taking care of their siblings. Um, and I have to believe that for two years, you can't lie completely. So there's got to have been part of his life in the story for him to keep it going. Um, but I didn't need to keep it going, except that I felt if I did keep him engaged in the story here that, or in our real life, that when I went to the FBI or whoever, they could catch him. They could do that. And that next day, I did go to the FBI, called my parents immediately, and, and they came over from Tampa. We went to the FBI with my 4,000 pages of journal and my three-ring binder that had every financial transaction that I had done over those years. And they listened to my story. And the first thing they said, well, in Palm Beach County, more men get taken for over a million dollars than women do. And unless he's here in the United States, there's nothing we can do for you. So thank you very much. Reported to IC3. and. That's it. And I walked out of there very disappointed because, you know, I watch TV and the FBI is supposed to be able to do everything. Yeah, in an hour. <laughs> yeah. And so I, that's when my math, I call it the woman behind the smile. That's when I put my smile up and I just said, you know what? No one's going to hear this story from me. I was so embarrassed. I was feeling guilty. I felt terrible because I'd gotten my mom and dad involved for $100,000. And I just, I didn't know how to move forward, except me, the fixer, had to say, okay, it's over with, move on, try to live your life. And when girlfriends asked what happened to Eric, why isn't he here, blah, da, 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 I said, it just didn't work out. And I knew they, they didn't take, they didn't catch onto that. They're like, there's something more to this story. But I kept it, except for my mom and dad and a very few number of people, I really kept it to myself until about four years ago, and I was at a business meeting with a group of friends of mine, a women's prosperity network meeting, and we were sitting at lunch, and one of the, my girlfriends mentioned online dating, and I, she says I rolled my eyes at her, and I, I did, and she said, what's that story about? So I told her, and she's standing, sitting there at the table, and she said, you have to tell your story. I'm like, mm, nope, nope, zip. She goes, you have to tell your story because my mother was taken for $80,000. And then someone else piped in. You have to tell your story because I lived with a guy for a year and found out he had another family somewhere. And I kept getting all these stories from women. And, and over that weekend, I got bold enough to tell my story. And then I said, and by the way, I had this movie coming out and all that, you know, I made up this ending. And they sat there speechless and finally said, how do we get a ticket? How, how, how can we get in on this thing? And they said, you've got to tell your story because too many people are being taken and they don't want to talk. And I found that to be true. And I said, you know what happened to me? I can't change what happened in the past, but I can take what happened and make it good for somebody else. And that's where the whole woman behind the smile mission came. I started the nonprofit and, you know, I went out speaking from then on because I realized in spite of one woman sitting in a, in a meeting one time where she just gave me what I call the stink eye, like that was really stupid of you, Deb. I realized that I'm not talking to that woman going forward. I'm talking to the woman that's sitting beside her that's bobbing her head saying, I've been there, done that. My mother, someone that I know did it. And that's why I am doing what I'm doing because my mission is to save one person 
from having it happen to them or to help one person recover because it has happened to them and they're feeling alone. And when they find out that I've been through it as well-trained as I was, it can happen yes. to anybody regardless of race, religion, finances, etc. It happened to me and now she and I can hold hands and we can move forward together. The Woman Behind the Smile is my website. And they, if someone want, if, if this has happened to you or to someone that you know, please email me and it's Debbie, D-E-B-B-Y, at thewomanbehindthesmile.com. On my web page, I've got information uh, about the scam. There's videos of it. I also have a Thursday show called Stand Up and Speak Up where I actually bring in guests that this has either happened to or everybody's got a story about something. We've all hit rock bottom. And the Stand Up and Speak Up show is about moving yourself from the bottom with hope into your future and in, you know, in present and future. And it's been a terrific show. It's a weekly live teleseries and the replays are on the website. My blog's on the website. I'm also on the board of directors and the, sec the treasurer of SCARS, which is the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams. It's an international nonprofit out of Miami, and we're working with government officials here in the States, Department of Justice, Homeland Security. We've partnered up with organizations in New Zealand, in the Philippines, in Europe. Uh, we've got one, a young woman in Nigeria whose mother got scammed. We partnered with her, and I'm actually interviewing her on Thanksgiving. Uh, so it's an international thing and unbelievable information on romancescamsnow.com. Just a plethora of information because you would not believe how many people around the world are being scammed every day and don't know where to go. And we're the only nonprofit advocate for victims and survivors, as I like to call them, survivors. If Eric Cole had not admitted to you that he was a scammer, would you have figured it out? What do you think the route would be? And what caused him to say, hey, by the by, Deb, uh, I've been scamming you for a million bucks for two years. I think what would have happened is I would have run out of money and he would have gone away. Most scammers do not confess. Most just drop you. And the victims that I've, the survivors that I work with, when that happens, because I tell them if they want to see what their scammer looks like, look at the picture in my book. Look at that picture because he's him or his friends. Um, I would have thought that he had died and it would have been worse for me than when my husband died because now I was in it and I had given away a million dollars, which I didn't have. And I need people to know that I didn't have a million dollars in my bank account. But because at that point I felt Eric was my family, I found it. I sold jewelry. I sold investments. I cashed in my retirement accounts, which I took huge penalties on. I did what I needed to do. I have women that I work with that have sold their homes. They've taken equity lines out on their, on their houses. They've, you know, they're financially devastated. I at least had my company still. Um, but it was, it's something that they just, they reel you in and, and you don't, you're not looking to get taken. So yeah. I was so unaware, so unaware. Um, why did Eric tell me? It's unusual, like I said, but he said that he had developed feelings for me personally. And that could be part of the scam too, but I really don't think so because of the way it happened and the way he kept in touch with me or I kept in touch with him. Um, and unreal to me looking back is that I actually started looking into dating soon after this happened because I think I needed to prove to myself that I wasn't so gullible that I wasn't going to be taken. 
And I did meet a man in January. This happened in September. In January, I met the fellow that I'm actually married to now. That's the happy ending as I have remarried. Good. And I met my, my husband through friends, and one of the friends was a matchmaker. So <laughs> we did do our due diligence. But Eric kept in touch, or Joseph kept in touch with me until I told him that CJ and I were going to really start dating in person. And that's when Eric said, basically, I feel like you're okay, and I can, I can walk away now. It was very interesting dynamic between the two of us. I hated him in a way, but I had gotten to know him in such a way. And part of me, I finally did tell him, I said, look, if you had been honest with me from the very beginning and you needed help with your siblings or something, I probably would have helped you knowing the truth. But by you lying to me this whole time, I said, I've lost my trust in, in men. And I did. I just, I, and in general in people, because women scam people also. It's yeah. not just men. And, uh, and it took some time. It's still, I'm very cautious now and I, I don't answer telephones that it calls and I don't know who they are. You know, uh, I've learned a lot, which somebody asked me one time, if you could go back in time, would you let this not happen? You know, would you reverse? And, and I said, no, I've learned so much about myself and I've gotten to be a better person from the inside out. And I'm very I've always been very compassionate, but I'm so aware of what's happening now. And it just breaks my heart when I, when I talk to women that have lost everything. And, and I'm not talking just finances. They've lost friends and family, and they've gone through the victim blame game. And that's the hardest part is when people turn around and say, well, that was really stupid of you. Or how in the world could you have done that? You're a smart woman. Well, most of the people that I know that have been scammed are very well-trained, very well-educated have good financial backgrounds and come from all professions. So it's not the dumb bumpkin sitting somewhere that is being scammed by these guys. Yeah. It is not, it is us. It is all of us. And uh, they're very good at it. Debbie, this has really been very, very enlightening. And one more thing, you've been able to help other people. So maybe for, you know, there are those people say, oh, things happen for a reason. Well, maybe your situation happened because you took the road and told everyone else what happened to you so that you could help other people. That's, that's why I did it. I was interviewed one time and a woman from Indiana came on the, on the interview and she said, Deb, if you believe in God, which I do, she said, I believe that this happened to you because he knew you'd speak up. And when I heard that, I was like, you know what? That's true. I will. Because most people that I talk to will not ever talk about it except to me because they know I understand them. I understand what they went through. And I always take it back to, you know, Dr. Phil and all these guys have these kinds of shows where they're, they're going to out the victim or they're going to out the scammer. That's great because you make the families feel good, but it doesn't make the victim feel good because she still believes in the guy that she was falling in love with. And <sighs> as soon as she gets off that show, she's, and he contacts her, he's going to be back in, in her life. Where when they talk to me and I can say, look, I understand it. I get it. But let me tell you, there's three things I want you to do. First is stop all communication with this person immediately. Block him. Do not accept any, any information. The next thing, you have to accept that you got scammed. Because it's so hard to say, it, it, no, it, it, can't be, it can't be a scam. He's a real person. That picture I'm looking at is a real person. Well, they don't understand that those pictures are, have now been identity fraud for the real person the picture belongs to. 
So don't go stalking the person that you think you're in love with because that guy has been a victim also. And then focus on yourself. Understand that you can't change the past, but you can change your future. So work on yourself, become stronger yourself. And many of them have to start over financially. So look for help. Don't try to do it on your own. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of a lot of service out there from people that this has happened to. They're willing to support you in a support group. You might need to see a therapist. Uh, I'm not a therapist, obviously, but I can say find a therapist that can understand the victim mentality or trauma. It's trauma. There's PTSD. There's all sorts of emotional things wrapped up into this. Report it to the police. Now, don't go into the police thinking they're going to change it and fix it like I did when I went into the FBI because they can't. But what they can do is take a report. You can take that report and you might be able to get some assistance from the state for rent or for, for tax purposes. You know, you have to let somebody know, but they're not going to fix it. They're not going to get your money back. And then the biggest thing is beware and be aware and never, ever send money, give money to somebody you don't know. Because if you're walking down the street, you probably aren't going to give money to the person that comes up to you and say, hey, you know, I need five bucks. You might, but I doubt it. You're certainly not going to give them a million dollars. So not surprisingly, the so-called Christian dating sites are prime fishing ponds for heart and bank-breaking scammers. Remember, Debbie met her scammer on a Church of Latter-day Saints site, and Christian Mingle and eHarmony have more than their share of scammers. Remember also, the scammers then direct you to go to a different chat site that the website cannot monitor. It's not the website's duty to protect you. It's your duty to protect yourself. See you next time. I'm Katrina Daniel. Thank you for listening to Primetime Crime, the podcast. Follow us on Facebook at Primetime Crime, Instagram, Primetime Crime 7, and Twitter, Primetime Crime 3. Post your comments and tell us what true crime stories you'd like to hear about. Subscribe to Primetime Crime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts.